The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. Broadcasting from beautiful Burbank, California, this is the Knapsack Files. I'm Ken Knapsack, and this is another edition of this show that's kind of come together. Comedy stories? Stage time? I don't know. We'll figure that out. I want to make a thumbnail for it. When I get when I get the hankering to make a thumbnail, that's when I know I'm gonna name the show. Right now, this is just me, Ken Napsuck, and all of you sitting down here on the Napsuck Files podcast feed for an interview with a good friend of mine who I hadn't seen in a couple of years. We talk about it in the show. Uh, we finally ran into each other while saying goodbye to a friend. Well, not ran into it was planned, but it felt like running. It was like, oh, yeah, I'll go say goodbye to you. You're moving out of California. Oh, also Chip's gonna be there. Bonus time. I mean, bittersweet. Say goodbye to you. Say hello again to Chip. We cover that in the show. This is a show, this is a concept where I just want to sit down with friends of mine over the years who I've done stand-up comedy with. It is one of my favorite worlds. And I, I can tell the, the pro wrestling stories. I can go into the other kind of comedy world stuff too. But I, I love starting with stand-up and seeing where it takes me and the guest. And I hope you'll find, particularly this interview and also with the one uh, last time out with Joe Ruggiero, that if you, even if you're not a comic, or never were a comic, never wanted to be a comic. We are human beings pursuing goals and dreams and battling the obstacles and fears that are often in front of us. And that hits all of us. It's what I've always tried to do here in the Napsack Files. I started this in 2013 as a chance for me to get my own podcast out there, which back then there were a ton. Now there's even more. And I hope you're considering starting a podcast. And do use Anchor, as I always advertise. You got to tell your stories and the stories of those around you. And the Knapsack Files were begun under the idea, the auspices, if you will, of uh, I got some cool people in my life. And, and, and there, a lot of them are entertain in, in the entertainment field, but you're going to find out that their stories are universal. I love doing a lot more of the comedy stuff with Saturday Night Knapsack and going down those weird paths. But I, I really am starting to look back on stand-up and my time there with more than just just nostalgia, but pride for what I did accomplish, regrets for what I didn't accomplish, and also pride for dealing with the obstacles that were in front of me that I didn't overcome, did overcome, or sometimes ran away from. And I think that you'll find this upcoming conversation with the wonderful Chip Dornell to be hopefully fun, number one, as we swap stories and look back ourselves, little nostalgia journeys, of course, but also find out about ourselves on stage. And off, and he's got some great stories of working with uh, Will Forte back in, uh, I believe, the late '90s, actually, and some old radio comedy stuff. And we go back to us working together. Chip and I actually started a YouTube channel in 2008 or nine, and we dive into that too. It's still up; you can find it. You get all the information in a bed. I, I also want to uh, take this time to remind all of you: make sure you get out and vote. That's important. I am staring at my ballot. I've always done mail-in ballots. It's been, God, probably 10 years or so. Once I realized you could do it, and not that I didn't want, I did do some in-person voting. I think 2000, 2004. And it was great. I felt good. I felt emotional. It's like my first votes, right? I was a little bit of a late bloomer on getting involved in the voting process. And don't be like that. Roll up your sleeves and do it. People died for this, right? They literally died for this. Get out there and vote. And I was moved the first time I actually did it. But then uh, the second time was great, too. But then the third time, uh, you know, and I, I also vote in the, the other elections, too. I'm talking about the big general elections. But I remember thinking, I don't I don't I, I don't want to have to even if my co company gives me a day off of work or lets me come in late or leave early. And I don't want to leave my house. I don't like leaving my house if I don't have to. And I despise waiting in lines. And I've always had to wait in lines at, at a voting booth uh, every time I went. So or a polling lo location. So I've always been vote by mail, but now more important than ever, a lot of controversy around all that. And I get it. It's a tough time. It's a weird time out there. But vote. It is the most powerful tool you have to get your voice heard, I believe, and, and, and make change. So take it from me, Ken Napsuck, average podcaster. Vote. Vote. All right. So all right. Uh, I also want to thank everyone on my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Ken Napsuck for supporting the channel, uh, keeping the lights on and just supporting me uh, through a very tough year. And it was a tough year for all of you as we're still getting through this time. 
It means a lot. I, I want to thank each and every one of you who support me now and have always supported me. Some people come and go. Some people come stop by, uh, drop a little uh, change in the bucket, and, and, and head on their way. It, 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 is, it is more than just that. It's more than just money and cash. It is the support that uh, this little pursuit of mine, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, as we always say around here, uh, you know, it, 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 that it's, uh, that it's uh, still going strong because of all of you is what I'm trying to say here. And I want to thank my executive producers, Thomas Risling, Risling, Lethal Logan X, Matt Thompson, Nathan Ovendale, Ty Schallenberger, Chad Benefield, Tommy Terragreen, Jonas Bergen, Sean Arnold, Old Handsaw, we call him, Zach Taylor, and Ranger Donald, Donald Long and Fair Smooth Donna. Just some wonderful folks, but all of my supporters, past, present, and hopefully future, uh, just make so many things happen. And get in that Discord. If you're a Patreon supporter, get in that Discord server. Fun conversations, good community there. All right. Uh, also, gosh, you know, uh, I, I wanted this intro to be kind of short, but I, I you know, would... Recording this here, let me check the calendar here. What I just made a... Oh, you hear that sound? I'm not, I'm not editing that out. I got to go eat dinner after this. It's the 13th. All right, yeah, it's the 13th. This is released on a Wednesday. Uh, this past Saturday, October 10th, 2020, in the year of our Lord, uh, Mark Riley and I got the chance to get on stage in front of no audience except for all of you at home. And we did the Riley's Cantina live. Sean Healy production. Sean Healy presents... Uh, helped us put it on, and actually got all credit to the Wangers, Christian Rubicamba, Cody Hall, and Brian Perez doing sound, technical directing, camera, and a lot of just producing, getting that show. We could not have done it without them. And we could not have done it without any of you supporting, buying tickets, buying the merch, and more of those will be coming, I'm telling you. Not necessarily all just Riley's Cantina, but more live stream event programming where we'll make it worth your while to invest your time and uh, your money and your ducats, your hard-earned credits, to watch what we do and, and, and be entertained. We really are excited about some possibilities coming. So I want to thank all of you who supported that. All right, enough with the intro. Chip Dornell is coming here into the Knapsack Files, and we are going to talk some comedy stories and get a whole lot more out of it. This is the Knapsack Files. See you on the other side of this book. Hey there, everybody. My name is John Mariano, and I'm from the Feeding the Monster podcast feed. I am here to let you know that we have a plethora of shows on the Feeding the Monster podcast feed, and whatever you do, do not tune in. You don't want to hear from Corey Morissette, Jeff Hillbilly, Scripps Saunders, Mark Eden Kleyer, Thomas Russling, or myself. All of our shows are hot garbage. They are structured stupidity, and they are not worth your listen. So whatever you do, do not tune in to the Feeding the Monster podcast feed. We do not want any new fans at all. Back to you. Why We Love Star Wars by Ken Napsuck is a collection of little love letters to the greatest saga ever told, and a personalized copy can be yours today. Just go to KenNapsuck.com and choose the Shop tab. There, you'll find options to purchase exclusive poster art designed by movie trivia Schmodown star Janine Bryce, a signed copy of Why We Love Star Wars, and collector Napsuck file cards. Already have a copy of the book but still want an author's signature? Then check out the book plate package. Get a signed book plate sticker and a 3D printed keychain sent straight to your spaceship. Go to KenNapsuck.com for pricing and shipping information. Knapsack Files fans, I am very excited to welcome this guy back onto the show. He was uh, one of the original batch of guests because he's one of the originals. One of the original people that I actually absolutely just fell in love with in, in, in this town. He's, he's a writer, performer, uh, uh, game show producer, game show uh, writing genius, and also just uh, an amazing guy. Please welcome back to the Knapsack Files to talk some comedy stories, Chip Dornell. Hi, Chip. Hello, sports fans. How are you from coast to coast? I'm just working on some of my, uh, I use that as a voice demo. <laughs> that's exactly, that's all you need for voice demo. That's right. <laughs> just some loud voices. Uh, it's been a while since we've sit and talked with you, sat and talked with you uh, here on the Knapsack Files. And I'm doing this thing where I'm looking back uh, and, and, and looking ahead. I don't want to just look back like uh, comedies behind me. I'm actually knee deep in it again, but 
uh, just swapping comedy stories. We had Joe Ruggiero on recently doing that, but I, I felt that you know, you and I recently, after years of of not seeing each other, just way yeah, L.A. life works. Uh, we uh, said goodbye to a mutual friend uh, who was moving out of town, and it was just like, man, I, I, you, you're too great of a human for me uh, to not bring around these parts more. Um, but you, you are when I think of stand up, and I think of my my quote unquote definite definite air quotes around this, my golden years of stand-up you were there every show chip every show how many stand-up shows did you watch i don't know but i actually when i was digging out the microphone for this cast here i uh, opened up a file drawer where i keep the stand and the microphone and there were a few uh mini dv tapes and i'm sure you, you remember i um would tape all yeah. of those shows that we did uh, uh, for white boy comedy, uh, <laughs> white boy comedy uh, started uh, well, started in part by Mark Franco and named yeah. by Mark Franco. And I think I'm trying to think even before then if I taped the shows back in the TK days, the Rebels but, of Comedy days. You might Rebels have. of Comedy. That's right. See, yeah. <laughs> you're jogging my memory. I think you did. I think you did. I mean, I'm looking at a at a photo I have on my wall. It is a uh, uh, you know, a, a three by five, whatever, back in the day when you go get your photos developed. And it's uh, Jamie Kaler, Franco, you, Lou Santini, Jody Miller, Christian Harloff, and me as the MC. That's, it's the poster. I remember that poster, yeah. yeah. And it would change every once in a while because when uh, Wipe Comedy started, Mark, I did a lot of the computer stuff in addition to the video stuff. Yeah. And I was, I know nothing still about, computers and graphics but you know i just sort of uh pounded my fist on the keyboards until something that was passable came along so i did like a few posters right uh and uh but yes taping the shows so to finish up on that story yeah. that i started five minutes ago uh i moved back in 2018 i had to move out of my place mm -hmm. uh just you know the circumstances yeah. And um, I couldn't afford it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had. Uh, oh, God, I broke. If you had to stack the trays of DV tapes that I had and each tray mm -hmm. hold about 48 tapes, it would uh, go up to about I'm getting up out of my chair to measure this. It would probably go up to about, oh, at least four. Mm -hmm. I would say close to five feet, the trays. And that's how many like that's how much comedy I yeah. had on those tapes. And you know what? I was like, I can't, I've got, I can't. And I threw them all away. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. You probably have complete start and finishes of stand-up comedy careers on those tapes from a lot of people. Oh, no <laughs> doubt. And the, you know, just the, big names of people who, you know, on yeah. night, I perhaps wasn't supposed to tape, but still did when they would drop in. Oh uh, yeah. Louie Anderson and, um, <laughs> and, uh, Chris Rock. Yes. Uh, oh yeah. I was there that night. Um, yeah. um, Cook, um, um Gary Goldman would come by Dan Cook. It would generally yeah. be improv when we do those shows. Yep. Oh. Yeah, yep. the Louie, I always tell the Louis Anderson story because we were in the lobby or in the bar bar slash lobby of, of, of the improv, the old improv. They've remodeled it. It's still relatively the same, but it was a little older, a little grungier back then, and I, and I loved it. I loved the improv. And Louis Anderson drops by, nicest guy in the world, but then uh, orders chicken wings from uh, the producer of our of the show, Mark Franco, because he thought he worked there. Just I'll have some chicken wings. That's a good impersonation right there. <laughs> yeah, you you impersonation you saw so many so many and yeah the harloffs and the ellises and all those folks that a lot of people listening to the napsock files know you were there but again you were, we're gonna talk you were a stand-up comic um, and i like to still think of you as r whether or not you think so or not or haven't done it for years doesn't matter it's in your blood but you also you ran the cameras so literally i mean we're not for all the great comics that we're talking about, the Chris Rocks dropping by, Louis Andersons or the Harloffs and the Ellis, uh, the Santinis and the Connollys and all those. Uh, you also got to see all the ones who were just going to give it a good college try. <laughs> oh, yeah. Won't mention any of those names. <laughs> but you know what? They were. Oh, my God. Um, 
Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll leave that one there. But you know what? They were funny in their own way. You know, yeah. Like some of those people, you, the name would be called. We'd all kind of mm-hmm. look at each other and say, oh, well, all right. Here goes nothing. <laughs> Literally sometimes. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't yeah. want to. I you know, and I uh, why did I why did I do comedy? Because I thought yeah. I was funny, and I was funny, but I wasn't always funny. And I wish I had gotten to the point where I knew how to turn around any set. Where if I was doing poorly, I could just flip that switch <laughs> of all the available switches in front of me, yeah. and just turn things around. But you know, I never quite got to that point because if I mm-hmm. got on stage and I started sucking. Yeah. I would just pretty much, you know, suck shut it. down. But there, yeah. you know, there's no better feeling in the world than going on stage and getting laughs. And at least I know I was able to do that on somewhat of a consistent basis, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Come on, your 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 uh, your Ethiopian restaurant joke. I still, <laughs> I still, <laughs> I still remember. Um, still one of my favorites. Uh, that uh, your Martin Luther King uh, sale bid. There's so many great things that were not just great comedy, but but made points, uh, and, and as well as the silly stuff too. When did you when did you actually start stand up the first time? Because when I had met you, I want to say I met you in 2003 range uh, when I started doing the Rebels of Comedy shows, and the Rebels broke off into White Boy Comedy. Which, by the way, when people see some old clips of mine and they have the banner is in the background in 2020, I get a lot different reaction from me on a White Boy Comedy show <laughs> than we did in 2004 and five. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. When did that, when did you pick up the mic? Um, you know what? Uh, well, see back in the seventies, kids loved tape recorders and they loved doing goofy things with tape recorders. And, you know, I had, um, my, I remember my oldest sister whenever, you know, the first tape recorder we had, she was basically the guardian of it and we would mm-hmm. just do goofy stuff. I know we're going way further back than you probably, oh. uh, <laughs> oh, no. but this is that's where it all started it was just goofing off on the tape recorder and then um i think uh i lived in uh burlington vermont from uh the age of 12 until about 20 i don't know three four five Mm. not good with years but in burlington i remember there was a place called hunts and they did an open mic and this is also after, you know, it's like, so in, in high school, they would do talent shows and then they would do like a, uh, like an open mic at the very end of the talent right. show. Someone come up and wants to do something. And I would go up and imitate teachers and stuff like that. And it wasn't like I wanted to do it. It wasn't like I had this, like, but I almost felt compelled. It's like, oh my God, I got to do this. I can't yeah. not imitate Mrs. Brock in front of everyone. Yeah. And, you know, it, it freaking killed. And of course, you know, I, I was smart enough at least not to do my Mrs. Brock imitation when I started doing comedy in LA, but I knew I had something. There was something that made me want to get up there. And I used, I went and I like, I hosted a few open mics at, at Hunts. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was terrible. This is like going, this is back in the eighties now. Mm-hmm. But when I got out here, you know, I, I came out because, Oh, I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to show Hollywood how comedy's done. And, um, <laughs> and so and so I'm waiting tables and yeah. uh, the uh, comedy store had a uh, sort of annex location in Westwood, which was perfect. It was just a, a oh. few bus stops away. Yes, right. this was before I even had a car and I was Ooh. just across the way in Brentwood. So I would uh, hop on a bus on Sunday nights, go down, put my name on the list. And it was one of those things. It's like uh they, you could go up at eight or you could go up at one, right. but it was a pretty interesting time. Um, mm. I'm trying to think of uh, this guy named uh, Italian dude went by one name and he's still around, but he never like quite popped through Dante. Dante. Oh my God. I was just going to say, <laughs> I was just going <laughs> to say the name. And he, he used to run the uh, comedy shows at the bowling alley in Canoga park. Yes, because I think I think Bart Tangretti talked about a show that Dante. Oh yeah. You, you, oh yeah, yeah. I think Tangretti was a veteran of those Canoga Park Bowl shows. Yes, absolutely. And another guy, uh, Barris. Not well, of course, not Chuck Barris, but something Barris. Not Don Barris. Talking about Don Barris. Was he like a, a chunky blonde guy? 
Yeah, he does a lot of stuff at the comedy store now. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So they, they, would, they, would, they would run that show. And I remember it's like, uh, I don't know if you ever listened to uh, Howard Stern, mm-hmm. but uh, Heard of him. Yeah. the Los Angeles character Melrose Larry Green. Oh, yeah, who I've met few uh, more than a few occasions on Melrose. It's awesome. Melrose Larry Green would show up. And I remember one night there was a bit of a tiff where Melrose, Larry Green, and Dante were shouting at each other, and that actually became the show. There was nothing going off, going on on stage. It was like Dante kicking out Mo, Mo, Melrose, Larry Green, and a bunch of epithets being thrown back and forth. Oh, yeah. It was, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a fun experience, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like a little, little, uh, little chip out from Vermont. This is the yeah. big one. Melrose, Larry Green, getting yelled at. And then it was just me. You know, and so I, whether it's like ADD, anxiety, all those things that different normal people have different, differing degrees of, I just kind of stopped doing it until um, I met the Mark Franco who had moved out here from Boston, who was doing shows with uh, another name that um, escapes me right now, but they were doing shows at Maskers. Is it Mike Marino? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for uh, covering for the cells that were have been killed by alcohol. And, and what I love about this for the Knapsack Files listeners, this is a very specific podcast. We are we are just reminiscing about comedy, but also I love just sharing these comedy stories because that's what it's like when you get when you're hanging out hanging out with Ellis at the comedy store porch. It's like who is that guy who ran the room in the laundromat? Oh yeah, dog. <laughs> That's I, what it I, is, yeah. And you just mentioned Ellis's name. I just, I just had to say, it's like he was one of the first people I thought of the other day when I got mm-hmm. the news alert over my phone that Eddie Van Halen died. I hope um, he's okay. Um, he's, he's done some tributes on his YouTube channel that were touching and great. So yeah, <laughs> I, my, my heart went out. So yeah. um, we did those shows at Maskers, and then uh, just palling around with Mark Franco. That was what kept me doing comedy. Mm-hmm the most consistently um, in any point in my life that I did comedy. So yeah. uh, hats off, hats off to him. And yeah. he was also probably one of my biggest fans. I'd be mm-hmm. up dying on stage and I would hear his cackle in the back. And I never knew if it was because I was dying or because I was funny, but it was yeah. always sort of uh, a buoying sound. Cause you know, yeah. <laughs> it was. Uh, Frank, uh, for for longtime Knapsack Files listeners, um, if, if you're familiar with the Grasping at Straws pilot that Christian Harloff shot, and uh, back in 2007, a lot of Schmo fans know about it. Franco was uh, he he played the, the kind of the the club owner in that. Uh, and Mark book, book, booked all these shows about two to three a week around L.A. And you're not you're not wrong, Chip. Uh, you know, I would have those nights when I was absolutely horrible. But if I said something, and I heard Franco in the back laughing, or or he'd meant you know, just it felt like my night wasn't a waste. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some people, they just have that effect. Yeah. And, and he was the first one uh, to give me a chance to host a show, which later became uh, something I loathed because, uh, you know, I'd, I'd see too much stand up every night and burn my soul. But it was a big step forward. Oh, yeah. He put a lot of faith in me. I'm sorry. He became the go to guy for mm-hmm. sure. But, and I always thought about it, it, it was kind of like the, the weird thing about hosting is that. People will do it and they'll do it because it's consistent. They know they'll get stage time, but I don't want to say there's a resentment to it, but there's something about hosting where you're just like, I don't want to get stuck in this. I want to be able to go up there and be the person who can like close and kill or the person who could open and kill, but don't make me be the schmo, (laughs) your utility schmo, but it's a freaking important important role it is and you were and to and anyone can host but to be a good host i mean that takes a lot and you were you were a great host oh thanks brother no you're you're a great comedian but it's like i was a on and off host but you were a really good host well, I, I took, I, I enjoyed it, you know, probably because of the Letterman thing. I know Letterman used to, you know, do sets, obviously, but back in the day, the comedy stores would host too. And I, so there's a tradition to it, a, a tradition to it. But yeah, I always say like, you don't maybe recognize good hosting, but you know, bad hosting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're doing your job as a host, you are part of the show. You're not the show. And, you know, it sucks because you don't, you know, you, you're, you're, 
by the time when you hit the stage to start the show, the crowd is still settling in. They're still ordering drinks. They're still ordering food. They're waiting for their friend. If it's a bringer show, they're waiting for the, the headliner and they just don't care. They're like, cool, great. Do, get, get to it. And, and you're acting like the show has yet to begin. You're just warming it up. So I could never really work on my set. And, and Harloff said that to me one time is so we were all, because you, you grew to be resentful of comedy a little bit because you were up there watching 15 comics perform, not really getting to use your jokes, getting to do crowd work. And then we were going up doing great seven minutes that we worked on. And we went downstairs to get drinks and, and flirt with girls. And you were upstairs. <laughs> you know? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's about right. That's about right. But, uh, but, uh, but that also meant I was stuck in the most wonderful way with you every night during every show. Cause you were often the voice of God. We called it in the back with that mic in the back. Yes. The uh, announcer, Mike. Yeah. And it was a lot of fun. This is a lot of, a lot of it, but room five on La Brea, which is no longer there. Unfortunately, uh, an Italian restaurant with an upstairs comedy place. It was owned uh, secretly by Kimmel and Corolla and uh, another guy. That's right. Um, so yeah, those are the days. Do but you and I, we shared that one thing. Like you mentioned it, like the the act of or the art of failing is is a underrated skill in comedy. Patrick Keene is one of those comics. If anyone out there knows him, who he's one of my favorite comics, one of my favorite comedic writers. But I always would tell Patrick, I like it when you bomb even more because he became more funny the worse it got. <laughs> and and yeah, him, him fighting with the crowd. Um, it, it, not the Larry David way of it, it just, just spiraling down into my life has all come to this horrible six minutes of stage time. It, it, it was, it, it was fun to watch that too, but yeah, you, uh, you, you and me shared that skill. Like it, it, if we slipped on the banana pill on stage and it wasn't funny, it really hurt. Yeah. And I never had that skill of turning my failure into a bit, you know? Yeah. Um, which I think is what, Kind of what you're referring to. I could mm -hmm. be way off, you know. It's like, no, uh, yeah, it's exactly what I'm referring to. Of, it's of it's like that's just so much self consciousness, mm -hmm. and, uh, which is what made it so strange for me. You, you know, and I would explain this to people, um, people that we both know. I won't, I won't mention. It. Oh, okay, Patrick Nay, for example. I remember telling him, it's just hey, like, hey, yeah. When I really recognize the fact that you know, it's like, all right, you know, you're going up on stage you're like, you have to work that day and your whole day at work. All you can think about is I have to go on stage later. I have to go on stage later. I have to go in front of people later. I have to, what if I bomb later? What if I bomb later? And that just controls your thoughts all day. Yeah. And that mm. I, after, at you know, initially I was like, Oh, that must be normal where I just didn't think about it. But yeah. then I realized it's like, if you start having those thoughts, maybe you should reassess. <laughs> and I would tell people this. It's like, I have all these like weird issues with going on stage and people like Nay would be just like, oh, you just need to go up more. It's like, you're clearly not listening to what I'm saying. <laughs> you're clearly not listening. And it kind of is too bad. And if it wasn't for that, it uh, if it wasn't for that, maybe the laziness would seep in and, and would have like taken me out of it. But that was... That was the major thing. Sorry to keep bringing it back to my neuroses. No, no, but this is great. This is the, the consciousness of comedy is it's a fascinating co concept. Just being fully aware that you're up there and not being in the moment is, is, is a defining line for me because yeah, you're right. Like if I, if I, I would, I would take the stage often and just feel so exposed, especially those early days that if, if the first laugh didn't come out, I knew it was because of me. And mm -hmm. I knew everyone in there hated me. And I'll tell you, when I, when I did the quit, when I quit in 2007 for a bit, and when I started to come back, and I talked about this a little bit with the, on, with Ruggiero a couple weeks ago, the simple thing I did was like never, I became one of those comics that kept the mic stand up and, and performed behind it. And it was mm -hmm. so weird, the art, the little, that little act of, of having the mic, uh, uh, this not even one inch wide bar made it feel like a wall in front of me. And I immediately became more comfortable. Huh? Weirdest feeling ever. The first time I did it, I was like, oh, this, I feel safe. I feel safe. And I started getting better. Nuts. Yeah. Small things that people would just never, ever pick up on. Yep. Yep. And it's gone now. I mean, doing the shows with Ellis now, but for some bits, I'll go back. So it's definitely gone. But it's just, you just felt, and I was, you know, and I don't want this to just be my journey. I understand it, but I like, I, I don't know. Maybe you relate to this chip where I didn't know I would study other comics, either the ones I watched 
Um, you know, Santini was very controlled. He was the Tony Gwynn of comedy. He'd watch every tape and analyze it and have a detailed notebook about what it, what worked and what hand movements worked. And then there was Harloff just hitting the stage like a whirlwind, uh, you know, uh, running around. <laughs> Ooh, you know. Give me all you got! Give me all you got! Uh, and, I, and, and then watching, you know, uh, Lewis Black or Dane Cook or the bigger comics of the day and just trying to figure out what do I do on stage and I could never unlock it until I finally calmed down because I just felt, I guess I want to say naked emotionally, but like walking around on stage with just the microphone in my hand, I felt too close to the audience. And and that was a sign that it wasn't working because, you know, famously Leno switched the Tonight Show monologue stage up from the classic Carson thing to a stand up stage because he wanted to feel close to the audience. I felt mm-hmm. too close to the audience. I don't know if you could relate to that on any level. There were so many things going on that I, in terms of discipline, you know, it's like I never put like two and two together on any sort of issue. I mean, I tried all kinds of stuff. I would perform with the mic stand in front of me. I would perform, you know, like putting the mic stand to the side. I would, um, mm-hmm. of course, you know, I did. I know I did a lot. I tried to experiment with some material, but it's like in terms of like you breaking it down to like the science it's, I never had the, uh, yeah. I never went into all that detail and I wish I did have the wherewithal to do it mm-hmm. because it probably would have made for a much, uh, uh smoother, uh, uh <laughs> approach. And, you know, it, it probably, I mm-hmm. don't know, could be something that I still would be doing at this point, but yeah. it's like, I'm curious because I, of course, I always think about what what would what it would be like if I went back on stage, and I probably will not be. You know what? Actually, yesterday I was walking through a, a CVS and thinking to myself, "It's like, oh, this would be a good joke." Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and I, I won't go. I won't go into it. But it's yeah. even now, I still get that feeling. You know, and. Um, Okay, here's the joke. Hey, yeah. CVS, you need to straighten up your battery section. And if you're wondering which CVS I'm talking about, I'm talking about you. Um, because every CVS battery like section yeah. is just jacked. Warzone. But anyway, I, so I still think about it, but I'm wondering like so you took so you took some gaps and returned. Yeah. In the latest gap and return that you made, I'm turning mm-hmm. it around on you now. Ooh, sure. I'm what what sort of things, what sort of realizations did you make that um, have made returning? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, good. Ellis, Ellis was trying to trick me into doing it uh, during the Shmo days and I was done. I was totally done with it. And then I did go uh, comic con, I think 2014 uh, we went down and we went to La Jolla and I had, uh, I said, yeah, I'll do it. And I thought maybe I have a little bit more of a, the Shmo audience. Um, to come on out. And this is 2014. The Schmoes podcast was, was doing good, but you know, not as big as some of the Schmodown audience now and everything. And I hadn't started working for screen junkies yet and everything. So it's like, I, th- I thought, I thought foolishly people will know me and I'll feel safer in front of that crowd. Well, they didn't. And I was really intimidated in the first five minutes, my legs locked. It was, I've, it was the worst five minutes I've ever had. And the last five minutes were good. I don't, I don't remember that. And I, and Knapsack Files listeners have may, maybe have heard this story recently, but I was terrified. So I was like, done. I told Alice that was it. It was dumb. Uh, I really just can't do it. And, you know, then I started getting my legs. That's 2014. So I got my legs as a performer, you know, just doing more and more podcasts, doing more and more YouTube shows, doing more and more uh, live events, uh, live event appearances, moderating panels, being on panels, being in front of, you know, some of the screen junkie panels were in front of thousands of people. Right. Um, you know, uh, Schmodown, you're in front of 300 some in Chicago, a thousand people. So, the performer side of me started to, which had always been there, had started to line up with the me, uh, the podcast can, the host can. That is a, that is me, but it's a it's a character. It's this is this is a, a bit of a performance. I'm I'm off camera. I'm very, uh, you know, I'm very quiet and stoic and and boring. Um, not that I'm not that I'm not boring now, but just um, I started to meld the two, and started be, and so I knew I had a little bit more. I could find that what you and I are talking about that I didn't have in 2005 being uh, a security director who was coming over on a Thursday night to do a show. That wasn't who I am. Your job does not define you, even whether it's a successful job or a small job, but your job's not you. 
But the moment a joke went bad, I'd be like, they all know I'm a fraud. <laughs> they all know that I, they, I, they probably saw me at the farmer's market today as a security director. Like, <laughs> you know? And I remember I ran into one time, I ran into Mikey Day and Andrew Friedman from the Groundlings, uh, who I'd been at, in a cl- advanced class with. Uh, and they were, you know, this is before Mikey Day got on SNL and everything. And I ran into, they ran into me in there and I was like in my full uniform. I was the director, you know, I had a good job. And mm-hmm. I, I literally said to them, I was like, oh, please don't tell. It was, it was the, what is it, the Lenny line from Simpsons or is it Carl? Uh, <laughs> don't tell anyone how I live. <laughs> exactly. I said, don't tell anyone what, how I live. And Mikey Day looks at me and he's like, Hey man, like it's, it's all, we all got jobs, man. We're all just I'm like, yeah, I know. Uh, and I like ran away. Um, and so that would be the kid on stage. When I started to go around uh, in 2018, when Ella started having McCuga and I co-host, it was not Ken the comic. It was Ken, the co-host of a podcast with McCuga. And the, and the walls started to break down. I started yes. to, you know, I started to like, okay, I am, I am that same person on stage and I'm not a fraud. Even when I fail, I'm not a fraud anymore. I might not always be funny, but I'm not a fraud. Uh, so that was the change. And that's, that's that again, the psychology of comedy as a performer, it's there. And I know what you mean where you're just like on stage, you're like, I'm just i I'm just Chip Dornell from Vermont. <laughs> and right. if this joke yeah, doesn't work. Just, doesn't you work. know, this is me and I don't give a shit. Yeah. 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 And look, yeah. And look, I, I, I'd love the a trick you, you getting back on. I, I really would because you, your, your humor was, you know, it, it, it was your biggest jokes. The ones I mentioned, the Martin Luther King joke uh, uh, and the Martin Luther King day, uh, you know, mattress sale and the Ethiopian restaurant are just two that come to mind, but you had a lot that just, you had good points to your humor and important uh, things to say with your humor. Uh, but it was also so smart. And, and that's also a blessing and a curse, but yeah, I'm going to trick you somehow. I don't know how this show maybe <laughs> scare you more than trick you, but <laughs> all right. I, I, I accept your challenge. Yeah, same with not, you. I'm not saying I'm getting back on stage. I'm just saying that I am entertained by the fact that you think you can trick me <laughs> into getting back on stage. One one thing that you and I did share too is maybe, especially back in the day, is finding our voices, uh, comedic voices, off stage, perhaps even more at the time. You set out to be a writer. You are a great writer. You did work on, you did some uh, research and contributing writing on one of my favorite books, which is uh, the Simpsons book that details every episode. Uh, they yeah, up to season they, seven or yeah. I forgot, maybe it was 10 at yeah. that point. And they've, yeah, they've updated that book, but you, you, you know, and I, I, when I first learned that and went, I raced home one of those nights, we probably did a show at the improv and I found out and I raced home and I pulled it out of my bookshelf and saw your name there. And it's like, I, 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 mom, I called my mom, I'm mom. I'm friends with celebrities now. Um, <laughs> Oh, um, but you and I found that, Ed. I I gotta talk if if you're okay talking a little bit about it. Uh, yeah. in, uh Before we met, a few years before, you used to do some some radio comedy with Will Forte, and I love Will Forte. I've always kind of been compared to him during my time at the Groundlings, and I compared uh, you to him actually. Yeah. I remember once I was just, anyone, and you always I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure out who you reminded me of, and then finally, boom, we were in the improv one day in the bar, and I was. Did anyone ever tell you you remind them of Will Forte? It just hit me like a hit me like a diamond bullet. Yeah. Uh, it was just like and it's like God. I'm fu- I'm glad I finally figured out who he reminds me of. But yes, yes, you definitely got a Will Forte thing. Yeah, it's a it's it's a style of comedy more than the look. But yeah, you so then so I know I had been told that. Uh, some of my directors at the Groundlings had told me that who were, you know, knew Will and, and worked with Will. And they were like, you, you kind of have his kind of style of comedy. Uh, he's done a little bit better with it, but, um, you know, I had it. Um, but then, yeah, then I come to find out you would actually worked with Will before doing radio comedy. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, we met at the Groundlings mm. in a class and, um, we just sort of like palled around. It's like we had like, so the, I think it was from the first class that we were all in together. We had sort of like a click. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was one point where we uh, tried to put together a show to do at the ice house in um, Pasadena. Mm-hmm. Cause they were doing sort of, sort of like some sketch thingies, right. whatever. We all got together and uh, failed at that. And <laughs> um, let's see. <laughs> And he used to, he, you know, he is just sort of, Will is sort of like a, uh, he's got this bifurcated sort of personality. 
He's sort of like uh, that Scottish actor in that movie Split. And <laughs> he, so he's very controlled and he's very like concerned with hitting the right notes. He would drive over to my house after like writing something out for like the next day in like, yeah. uh, like Groundlings class and have me read it and say, do you think that's funny? I'd be like, uh, yeah. All right, cool. And then out the door. <laughs> but he's so like mm. out in left field in yeah. terms of like, so you would think that this guy does, you know, doesn't give any F's. Yeah. I'm trying to watch my language these days. You're doing great. But he does. I mean, mm. he was very concerned. I thought everything Will Forte did was funny because, yeah. I mean, because well, I don't know if one, he was concerned and two, he, he just took these weird risks. But mm. anyway, one of the, one of the like weird personality things to him was he would go out with, there was a radio, there was a, a studio yeah. where you could tape radio shows and the it was like syndicated to like AM stations like way off the grid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he, he might've still been in school or he might've just been like just out of UCLA at that point. And, yeah. uh, but he would go and do this and he invited me to go do it with him. And we used to do these shows. I know that studio too. Wasn't it, was it up on sunset? Um, it was sunset and West. No, not Sunset West. There was a McDonald's diagonally across the street. I'm oh, trying to think. It was like near Little, near Little Armenia. Yep. Um, yep. Because yeah. I, I, long story. I'll get, oh, I don't want to distract your story. I got. I saw like an ad for it. And I thought, oh, this is my break. I can go do radio comedy. This was like the early 2000s, and I drove over there, and it was like, I don't know if I should be here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. go home. It was. It was. It was. And who knows when the shows that we taped would go out into like you know i don't know outer space yeah uh, maybe it's being it's being like monitored by uh some some alien space agency somewhere it's like yeah yeah, yeah we're, we're gonna leave that place alone space uh, is watching it but we <laughs> we were just do we would do like goofy stuff i still yeah. have like a couple of the tapes oh, wow. we did like you know characters we did greg and roger two brothers with a deep found love for each other and we would like uh, go around the world, uh, like uh, solving international crimes and whatnot. Uh, yeah, it was pretty strange, but uh, uh, yeah. good times, good times. And then yeah, go ahead. He got famous, and I didn't. And hey. uh, so, hey, that's that's how it works sometimes. And and I love. I'll tell you, and I, I I remember this day, and I think it was Comic Con 2014, maybe 2015. They all they all roll together when you're drunk on the streets of San Diego. But people had said not only they thought I looked like Will, which I don't think is 100 percent accurate, just maybe at the time some some colorings were similar, but it was our style. It was a little bit of the self-confident, self-loathing comedy that that we both kind of do. And finally, it's 2 a.m. San Diego. Me and Mark Ellis are walking back to our hotel and they're out front with uh, with a guy and two girls is Will Forte. And he's doing the last man on earth thing. He's got the big beard. And, and Ellis goes, this is, we've got to get a picture. This is your chance. This is, we've, and I'm like, oh, come on. I don't want to buy it. It's like two in the morning. He's clearly wrapping up his night. And Ellis is like, no, come on, give me your phone. Give me your phone. Uh, I'm going to do this. And I, I am like terrified. I can't do this stuff. I, I am just shaking in my boots. And, um, and he, and he waits for an opportunity and Hey, sir. And you know, it's Comic-Con. Maybe there people are used to it. So Will, you know, turns around. Hey, how you doing? He goes, Hey man, my, my friend over here, a lot of people say you guys look, look alike. Can we get a picture? And I had a little bit of a beard, but he had the big beard. And his friend goes, that guy looks nothing like Will. I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is going to go great. So we take a picture and he's real nice. And I just go, this is my shot. And I say, I go, hey, I am old friends with uh, the guy you might know named Chip Dornell. And I, his face lit up. So I guess maybe I thought you were lying, Chip. Um, and <laughs> his face lit up. And, uh, you know, I know we probably had a drink or two at him, but he lit up and he just was like, oh, my God, you know, Chip Dornell. And I go, yeah, man, we, we, work, we work together. We do some comedy together. Oh, my God. And he gives me his email address. Now, it could have been a bunk email address. It could have been, he goes, please tell Chip to write me. I'm sure Will does not remember this conversation. 2 a.m. on the sidewalks in San Diego. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you know what? That was the last time I had any contact with Will Forte. I never heard back. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
I just, I, it was, it was a great postscript to the story. Uh, just my, my friendship with you, but just no, knowing that it, 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 it was all real. It was all real. Chip wasn't lying yeah. to me. It was, yeah. Like, yeah. Hey. Uh, but Will's great, but you're, you're even greater. And then you, you, uh, we worked together a little bit on a YouTube channel back in the, I guess, early days of YouTube. It still exists. I'm going to, ch- as we're talking, I'm going to type it up. Uh, you and I launched a, a, a brand of comedy, uh, geniusly named Chipsock, uh, combining your first name, my last name, and uh, it's currently got 17 subscribers. Um, I thought it was freaking hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love Chipsock. Chipsock. Yeah. And we also, on, on my YouTube, there are some channels. We got one. We, you and I actually went on a road trip. We went to my hometown in Pismo Beach, and we shot uh, the Pismo Beach travel video up there. You probably actually got me to do some of my best work <laughs> on the videos that we shot up there. Yeah, we used to do a bit called Reaching Across the Isle, which might not be too far of a reach for me now. Um, and then uh, we, uh, we, you, we did Goya. Carl's Jr. is Stupid was your, your genius video idea, making fun of the Carl's Jr. ads. We had then my Grand Canyon videos on that channel. I might that would I love my Grand Canyon video. I just unfortunately do use I don't use the negative term. I just I don't use Native Amer- Americans when I should now. So the the, the bit doesn't. Is that the one where you're just like oh, I lost my camera. Well, I'll go to the lost and found. Yes, uh, <laughs> amazing. I mean, there's a lot of stuff there. Uh, so News Comica was a bit. I mean, we're looking at. 11 years ago, uh, when you and I, if we had stuck with this chip, and this was our problem collectively, we had some stuff going on. If we had stuck with it, we could have been YouTube stars, but we pulled up tent stakes, 17 subscribers in. (laughs) Yeah. You got to stick to it a little longer than that. And that's (laughs) part of my problem. Unless I'm like actually forced to keep my nose to a grindstone. Yeah. I will wander like a hound dog that's never been trained to come. Um, oh, that's, well, I, I, I just realized I'm not even subscribed to it. So I just subscribed to it. We have 18 subscribers. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, that's, I, 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 I don't want to say I hate that about myself. I, uh, there, there, there are things that I hate more, things that I hate more about, my, but I, yeah, I wish that I had like the kind of stick to yeah. that um, it takes to actually be successful. Uh, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Like this, see, this is the difference between me and a Will Forte. And this is, you you know, through God, I've been out here for like going on, it's going on 30 years. Yeah. Uh, 30 years now. Wow. Yeah. There at one point I was doing, I was a stand in for uh, Bobcat Goldthwait had a show on television. It was on cable called Bobcat's big ass show. And had people come on and do all these crazy kinds of stunts. And so they needed stand-ins to do the stunts and, you know, run through them. And I met a guy there who knew uh, Will through the advanced classes at the right. uh, Groundlings. And he told me, gave me an update on Will, what Will was doing at the time. And right. Will was writing on David Letterman and yeah. hating his job and sleeping in the office and I, all I could think to myself was, wow, I would never put myself in that kind of situation. But Will <laughs> did. And uh, Will had his, own show on, well, had his own show on television. And, you know, he'll probably continue to do things, you know, that he wants to do. Well, well, you know, this this might go too dark and too serious. You just but you brought up something. And, and I think it's it's beneficial to anyone out there listening who is listening to this story of, uh, and realizing this is more than just two friends talking about their time doing comedy together. That That is something I felt. I know exactly the feeling you're talking about because I, at 20 applied to write for Letterman. And when I lived at home and I got a letter back saying, eh, you're too young, write again when you're you know 21 or something like that. And between that moment and a year later, I suddenly got afraid, but not afraid of success or what I can do, but afraid of, I can't move to New York. What am I, what am I going to do? Sleep in the subway. Uh, and I hear, I hear there's long hours. I don't like long hours. Long hours seem long and same with Saturday live or, you know, I, I got, I would get told that the groundlings don't just do the classes. Don't just do the groundlings classes, Ken. And this is my teachers with specific, cause they knew what I was doing. They're like, you need to go around and do a lot of schools, a lot of shows. And it isn't just the stand up. Hey, get up there. It is the, it, yeah, you've, you've got to really 
work at this. And I was like, ah, you know, it's, uh, I, I got Tony Hawk pro skater at home on the PS one. I'm going to go play. Um, <laughs> I'm cool. I'm good. I'm good. I'll be, I'll, I'm too talented for Lauren Michaels not to recognize me, you know? And, um, and it wasn't, it wasn't ego. It was just, it was, it was being afraid to on a lot of levels and what you're describing. I know exactly what you're talking about. I'd hear some of these stories of, Oh, my friend got a writing job. Oh, that sounds great. I'd be jealous. And then I'd hear, well, they're in the writer's room 16 hours a day, seven days a week. And I'm like, no, thank you. Um, and then I can't be jealous anymore. Right. I shouldn't be in the first place, but then it's like, they've earned it. They've earned that writing. Look where, yeah. will also, you know, clone clone high. And, uh, he, he was, uh, did some, work on uh, action the the tv show action i believe at one point yep. and, and then gets uh you know snl yeah he wrote on a ton of stuff yeah so it isn't overnight it isn't overnight and you just got to stick through it and yeah so there's a little bit of that of just like i didn't have the foresight to roll up my sleeves and so when i finally because i never even traveled to new york and when i finally did in october 2015 for screen junkies me and dan merle are there and we go down to 30 rock on a friday night and I'm looking up at 30 Rock with, with tears in my eyes going, I never put blood on the tracks. And, I, you know, Mikey Day, who I'd done a lot of work with, was up there. I knew it's Friday night. The show's mm-hmm. tomorrow night. He's up there rehearsing. Kent Subblood is up there doing writing. And people I know are there. And it's not that I would have been there. There's no guarantees. It's a tiny, tiny, it's a big funnel into a, that leads into that tiny opening, you know. Yep. Um, but I never put the blood on the tracks to try. because I Not because I didn't do comedy because I was too afraid to move to New York, stupid stuff like that. And look, life takes you where you need to be. And I just remember looking up crying. Uh, Dan gave me a moment just going, I, I failed and I don't want to ever fail again like that. (laughs) 30 rock is a monument to your failure. Yeah, That's vain. (laughs) I'm Alec Baldwin. It's five o'clock. Well, let me tell you that back in, this must have been 99. I started in the color in 1983, This is like 83, 85. Mm-hmm. I took a semester off from college. I didn't tell anyone what I was doing. I was living at home. I was putting together, building tracks on a cassette player nice. um, of basically a one-man sketch situation. It was all revolving around a radio station uh, mm. where the uh, DJ was basically sort of like a shock jock um, 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 politically incorrect sort of, Mm. I don't know, but I would intersperse like shows in between his nonsense. And I submitted, I just sent, I sent it to um, Dick Ebersol, who at the time was executive producer of Saturday Night Live. I'm like, Hey, let me write for your show. And there's a part of me that's just like, God, what a naive baby, but, at the same time, it's just like, I'm at least proud that I made the effort. Yeah. And if anything had come of it, man, I would not, no, I was not cut out for that position. I did get a handwritten note back from him saying, I'm sorry, but uh, you yeah. have to be a member of the writer's guild. How, how did he know I was? How did he know I wasn't ever on like no, on like a little notepad with the peacock. I and send it with and i have no idea where it is it's lost it's gone oh my god i've said that <laughs> oh boy that's awesome yeah you're you're so man you're so right and, and that's part of what i do here now the, the saturday night knapsack uh, audio show that i do on saturday nights is me forcing myself to do a lot more writing and actually getting back to it i don't want that i don't want to be crying in 30 rock again chip i don't want it to- <laughs> <laughs> you know what you can set and pl- set it set a plan for to, to, to own 30 rock. There you go. I'm going to rent, rent out the bottom level to a Sabaro. It's going to be great. Um, I've tr- I got to play. So I got queued up here as we start to wrap up this interview here. I don't want to, I know you got work to do. I have got our Carl's Jr. stupid video, which was originally part uh, published March 21st, 2009. It has 122 views, one like by me and one downvote, probably by you. Um, so <laughs> I thought it was, if that was C, there are so I said that is an example of something I conceive in my mind. I know it can be done and I know it will be great. And you were just you I knew I could tell Ken what I see and he can execute it. <laughs> and it turned out as great as I imagined it. I, now, yeah, it is video. So there's uh, I'll play. I'm going to play a clip of a clip here. Uh, I want everyone to go find this on YouTube, Chipsock. Make this video viral. Um, it is um, 
so that's it's chips audio the visual is me in a kitchen just kind of looking like a dumbass poking around like drawers and stuff but here we go the sticker of pamela anderson on your pager you can't rent a car without a co-signer the only reason you've never hosted lice is because your hair's too dirty it's the 10th anniversary of the first restraining order against you and your fake ufo story <laughs> you crash high school reunions uh, i'm gonna let i'm gonna let that be the the, the, the tease i want people to go figure it out uh i've also got slightly more hair not a lot but slightly more hair and I, and the polo shirt i'm wearing in this video i just got rid of this year so uh i'm making progress the blue uh, one was a blue or black black we, we had that kind of black over blue uh uniform which i just adopted as apparently my life uh my lifestyle of uh, keep it simple keep it simple Steph brundle yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I used to love to. Yeah, you know, and it's never too late, Chip. It's never too late for the Chipsock revival that everyone needs. <laughs> now, that that's definitely something I would do. I would definitely. Yeah. Um, We're going to figure it yeah. out. Hey, even, even if it's just for shits and giggles. Mm hmm. I love I'm it. Sorry, sharts and giggles. Oh, I love a good I love a good shit and I love a good giggle. So that would work. Um yeah. Oh gosh, folks. Yeah. You guys, I, I'm reminiscing on some of these other videos here, but I don't want to make it too much of a nostalgia train. Want to talk about comedy and life with the great Chip Door now, uh, who truly is great. The last time we worked together was on an ill-fated uh, movie-related, uh, movie trivia-related game show on Screen Junkies Plus, hosted by. Was Jeff. it ill-fated? I thought that show was great. It I was great. No, we we made. It made it work. And I'll tell you, Jeremy, uh, you know, was out of his comfort zone and I thought did a great job with it. We had a lot of fun. I thought so too. Yeah. I thought it was great fun. And you're, you're kind of a game show guy. I mean, you've, uh, you've, uh, worked on a lot of game shows, including recently the weakest link. And some listeners, uh, will know that Jay Washington, uh, previous knapsack files guest and friend of the show was on weakest link, but you, you're part of that, uh, we're part of that team for that show. Right. When did the game th game show thing start? That started in, um, so the first game show, I well, quiz show, mm -hmm. I worked on was uh, Jeopardy. And that was because I, I had been working on uh, online games at Sony Online Entertainment. Right. And <clears throat> yeah. so those were online games. And then I moved from there to doing research uh, since uh, Jeopardy is a Sony property. My name was sort of like in a hat of available people. And after everyone got laid off at Sony, um, they had a need for researchers at Jeopardy in 2001. Um, was either 2000 or 2001. And um, so I worked at Jeopardy as a um, researcher for, I'm trying to think it was probably just under a year. Okay. And when I had the opportunity to uh, go to actually the weakest link, yeah. which was just born in America uh, from the British version at that time. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, if, if I had stayed at Jeopardy, I would have probably, uh, I ha would have had the chance for a writing position eventually that was a little more stable. But, <laughs> and I've just been jumping around the uh, network and syndicated game show wilderness uh, with uh, some years better than others. And uh, finding all kinds of different work, and uh, I really did. I really did have a good time uh, um, working with you over at Screen Junkies. Yeah. Thank you again for bringing me on to that. I, um, you, I, you, I don't, I, I don't know what they, I don't know what they thought of the show, but there was there was so much funny stuff about it, like the way that yeah. the yeah. the guys who ran it would compete against people who were leagues uh, <laughs> less. Uh, knowledgeable yeah. than they were yes. about movie trivia and they would just beat the pants on them and i i would think to myself how is this fair but <laughs> <laughs> you know there were some games that were more evenly matched and just a lot of fun to watch it i, I actually it's like after the first taping we did i remember mm -hmm. uh, going to the elevator and hearing like uh mm -hmm. two of the camera guys there were like the tech or sound guys said talking about hey what were you working on i was working on this uh, movie trivia game show, which is actually pretty fun. It's like most of the stuff you just go, you sit there, and you let the camera run. But this one, you can actually play along. But it's like, hey, we did <laughs> something good with it. Hey, movie games. That was what it was, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a weird time, weird time, weird stories. But that was fun. You were my first hire. 
they were like, you need to bring in someone to help you on the show. And I was like, I got the guy. I got the guy. Uh, and uh, I will always try to bring you in and I will always try to get you to go on stage. That's a thing. But yeah, well, you know, for those listening, check out those chip, chip sock videos and uh, let us know, let us know if you, uh, you want to see a revival. <laughs> there might be more, whether you want to see him or not. <laughs> might be, might be Uh chip. Thank you so much for coming in, talking comedy stories. And- I hope I hit some sweet spots there. You know, I can, I can ramble. No, nothing else. I love the ramble and you don't. So it's great. Um, All right, folks, uh, we are almost out of here on the Knapsack Files. You know the drill up top. I told you where to find me, support. And uh, thank you to all the executive producer supporters. I think earlier you really make the show uh, happen and I appreciate it. So we'll see you next time here on the Knapsack Files.